This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in Genesis chapter 48, all the way up to chapter 48 this morning. It is an interesting, very interesting passage. Oftentimes when I'm doing these Bible studies, I make sure that I don't miss any of the glaring things that are going on in the passage. I can, at times when I'm studying God's Word, I can get intent on what I'm looking at. I can get intent on sometimes the language, and I can get very focused in on things that are not not the big point sometimes i miss sometimes i miss things sometimes i miss the obvious important things and so i make sure before i do a bible study before i come online that i peruse what others are saying about the passage so that so i don't miss the the elephant in the room as it would as it would be and i don't want to i don't want to show you something i don't want to speak about something and not make sure that i hit the the high points the big points and uh, sometimes I can do that. I can miss the forest for the trees. And so I don't want to do that in a passage. And so I peruse this passage. And what I think is the most amazing, wild, important thing seems to just not be a, a big topic of discussion. And in fact, this passage oftentimes is not getting a whole lot of discussion at all, if you want to know the truth. And I think it's of great importance as far as the pictures are concerned. And you got to remember, I love Old Testament pictures because remember, the Old Testament is the schoolmaster. It's the stories that give depth and breadth to the New Testament ideas, which we all live by. They, these stories are the context in which uh, we know, learn, and see uh, God's word in its depth. And so if you don't know the stories and if you don't see the stories, and by the way, they're not by accident. It's not like God just cherry picked some stories because he liked them. God didn't go through history and go, I'm going to pick this story and that story and the other story because I really like them. He picked them. He planned them. He made them happen so that they could be, so that they could be guideposts, so that they could be road signs, so that they could say, <clears throat> hey, look at this. This is important. This has depth to it. God's word in the Old Testament allows us to understand the New Testament in the context of story. And by the way, humanity itself knows and understands things most of all by story. In fact, most of our world history is there because of story. Stories were told and as stories were told, they were passed on from generation to generation. And most of the history that we have, even some of the most important history about major world figures in our antiquity, in our distant past, are based off of, they're based off of stories. And God is wonderful in that he tells us the stories. He tells us the stories that give us context and understanding. And even Jesus himself, most of the time, taught in parables because the story 
gives an understanding. It's a physical story that has a spiritual meaning. That's what a parable is. In the Old Testament, they're real events. They're real historical events that give us context and understanding and allow us to see things. And this story, it plays out very important role in the future of Israel. And it tells us something about Joseph. And I want to deal with both of those things. It says, now it came to pass that after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And those two names you need to remember because Manasseh and Ephraim are going to be names that are mentioned throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And interestingly enough, Joseph's name is going to be mentioned a lot, but he's not going to be mentioned as a legacy of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His sons are going to be the legacy. And He's going to be, the only way for me to describe it in the picture is something beyond, something more than that. And that's fascinating to me about Joseph. It says, and Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Notice he's dying. He's hurting. He's in his last days. And Notice when Jacob comes, he strengthens himself and sits up on the bed. He would not have probably done that for most of his other sons in the sense of preparing himself to, to meet his son. His son now has surpassed him. And that is an important understanding because Joseph has moved the spiritual boundaries far beyond what Jacob has done. Joseph has attained to not only a position in the world, but that position was attained to by spiritual means, meaning, meaning that Joseph attained to the position that he's at in Egypt based off the depth and breadth of his integrity, based off of the power of his character, and then also based off of the revelation of God to him because of that through those dreams and visions. And as you're thinking about Joseph, that's important. Joseph has surpassed his father, Jacob. He has become more than Jacob. He has pushed his family beyond what Jacob could have done. Jacob, if Jacob had been left without Joseph, his family would have died and perished in Canaan in the famine. They would have been destroyed. Joseph was the hand of God and the plan of God, not only to save Egypt, and remember Egypt's a picture of the world, not only to save Egypt, but to save his promises for the world and for his people through Joseph. And so in many ways, Joseph is a picture or a type of Christ. He is the savior of his people and the savior of the world. And the reason that Joseph is not mentioned as one of the tribes from now on is because he's not a legator. He's not one who is going to be the legacy of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's one that steps out apart from them and is a literal type of Jesus Christ. And there are few of them in scripture, but they are very important. And he is, as far as scripture is concerned, he is the first primary main one, main figure in biblical history that makes him a type of Christ. You have David, you have Moses, the, there, there are others that are either minor types of Christ or major types of Christ. But Joseph falls in line with those, with David and Moses. And the reason he falls in line with those 
is because he is the savior of Egypt and he is the savior of God's people. And there's no way to get around that. That's who he is. And that position is a picture of Jesus Christ. Because is he not the savior of the world? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is the savior of the world, isn't he? He came in the world, though the world did not know him. And he saved that world. He saved that world. He's the savior of the world. Not only is that, is the redeemer of his people, the savior of his people. And so is Joseph in a true life picture. He is a picture of Jesus Christ saving the world and saving his people. He is a type of Christ. And that's what we use that terminology for. He is a foreshadowing of the one who is going to be perfect before him. He is a perfect picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And he really is the first major picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. And that's why this story exists. That's why this is happening. Notice, Joseph sits up and strengthens himself so that he can receive his son because his son is of great importance. He says, then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me in Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Now he's speaking. When he sees Joseph, he speaks of the promises and the blessing the covenant of God, the plan of God for his people. That's what, He's not speaking about minor things. He's speaking about weighty things. And that's what this is all about. He says, he came and appeared to me in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. He's talking about those promises passed down from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham being the picture of the man of faith and him being the legacy of that faith and the legacy of being the man of faith. And he's talking about how God met him and perpetuated that legacy of faith, that preparation for faith. And he said, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you, an everlasting possession. He's talking about the promised land. He's talking about the place where God has made for him and his people to be. He's talking about the promises of God that were fulfilled ultimately in Jesus Christ. And he's talking about these weighty things, not with all the sons. He's talking about these weighty things with the one son. And who is that son? He is the savior. He's the savior son. Wow, what a picture if you look at it from that perspective. Am I right? It is. It's powerful. He says he's going to make my descendants an everlasting possession. Those whom the Father made, those whom the Father give me, Jesus said, I give them eternal life. And those who are in the Father's hands, no man can take out. No man can remove them. And so this is an everlasting possession. You notice the parallels. You notice how they come together. That's an important, you got to get this, is poor pictures here. He says, and now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, as my are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Notice, Joseph is being removed as a legator in the promises because he is beyond the promises. And and Jacob is taking his two sons, a double portion. These are important pictures. You say, what do you mean by a double portion? The eldest or the preeminent 
legator of a man, meaning meaning the son that was in the most important position or the eldest son got a double portion of the inheritance. So if there were five sons, there would be six portions and the preeminent son, meaning the son that had attained to the most in life or the, the son who <clears throat> was the eldest would get a double portion of what God had for them. And so the Joseph Joseph would have been due a double share of his father's inheritance, not because of his position in birth, but because of him being the preeminent or the primary son in his father's household. He was the firstborn son to his father, father's favorite wife, and he was the one who had clearly attained to the most in life. Beyond anyone else, he attained to the most in life. And so he is the preeminent son. And understanding that, he is being set aside and given a double portion, but not to him. It's to his own sons. And his two sons are moving up into his position. And Manasseh and Ephraim are going to be two tribes in the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, we're going to see later on as we're studying through this, that one of the tribes, one of the sons is going to lose his tribeship. He's going to lose his name out of those lines. But that's for a future Bible study. Today, you, you want to see that these two boys are being placed in their father's stead in the line of the 12 tribes of Israel. And Joseph is being placed aside and above them as the first type of Christ. And it says, your offspring who you beget after them shall be yours. They will be called the names of their brothers in their inheritance, meaning your offspring after these two boys, they're going to be in your line. Notice a separate line, not a least line, but a separate line and an important line. He says, he says, but as for me, when I came from Batam, and by the way, most guys, people who comment on this verse don't understand why it's in here. If you understand it in the context of Joseph being type of Christ and being set aside, you understand why he's saying this, why Jacob is explaining what happened with Rachel. He's telling his son that Rachel is dead, but he's also telling his son, and obviously Joseph would have already known that. He says, but as for me, when I came from Padam, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way. When there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So Rachel, the mother of Joseph, is buried in Bethlehem. Now, if you want to know totally, you want to know how I get pictures and look and see and try to find pictures, that would be screaming at you when you study the Bible. Hold on. The mother of Joseph, who was Jacob's most beloved wife, died on the journey and she was buried in Bethlehem. I don't have to. You do Christmas too, just like me. Bethlehem's like real important. And the reason it's real important is because someone else was born there. And that's Jesus. See, the Bible is giving you these road marks. It's giving you these, these signs along the road that says, hey, look, this is important. 
And this story is real important. It's real important because, number one, somebody who ought to be the number one son has been moved out. And he's not just not the number one son. His two sons are taking his place, and he is being placed in a position above his father. And then he says, and by the way, I'm going to tell you why this is happening. God says, hey, look over here. I'm telling you why this is happening. I'm going to tell you why. It's because look at this story. His mom had already passed away, and she was a virtuous woman, and she was buried in Bethlehem. He's saying, hey, look, Joseph is a type of something to come, something of great importance to come. And that type of that importance you need to look at closely. Who is this? Who is this person? He is a son of the promise. He's a part of, part of the plan of God for his people. He is sold into slavery into Egypt. He is elevated to the highest place. He saves Egypt from the famine. And then he delivers his people from the famine and continues God's promises to an everlasting place, to a place of eternality. Hey, Joseph's a type of Christ. He's a picture of Christ. You need to see these pictures in him because the one who's going to come after him, who Joseph is not worthy to, to tie his shoes, as John the Baptist said, as David said, my Lord said to my Lord, sit on my throne. We understand that all of them understood. Moses said there'd be a prophet that come after him that was far greater than him. All these types of Christ in the Old Testament assent to there's one coming that fulfills all these things. That is all of God's promises culminating in one person. I may be a picture of him, but he is the one to come and he's going to fulfill all the covenants and he's going to fulfill all the promises of God and he's going to be embody all the goodness of God. In fact, he's going to be God himself. And Joseph is a type of him coming. And this passage right here is in here and uh, they're important. They're important because they tell us Things about Jesus coming down the road. They tell us the important stuff about who it is. And it says, hey, look, don't just read the story. Look for the deep truth that's coming out of these stories. And each story, each story was picked and chosen by God and has great importance. Though heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle of my word, my holy scripture shall ever pass away. And this is not going to pass away either. And this story is an important story to let you know that there's one coming in the line of Joseph, in the line of David, in the line of Moses, meaning not in their physical line, but in their spiritual line. And he's going to fulfill all of them. He's going to be greater than all of them. But they're pictures of him. So that's powerful. That's something to be heard when we think about these things. And it's something for you to consider, too, because you can't attain past your parents, and you ought to. You ought to chase after God with a spirituality that's far beyond yourself. You ought to attain past your family and become greater because they put you in a position to become greater. And if they didn't put you in any, in any position at all, then you ought to pull yourself out of the muck and the mire that you came from and make something of what God has given you. 
And Joseph did that. Joseph became greater than his father. We can do that too. In fact, if your father was greater, your mother was great, you can become greater than them because of their greatness. They propelled you forward and you ought to swim just as hard as you can to honor that propulsion, to honor that faithfulness and become greater than them. So also, if you come from no spiritual background, then you're the first fruits. You're the important one. You're the one God plucked out of the tree of this world and made something out of. And you ought to push yourself forward and allow your children to benefit from it also and maybe even push on to greater things. A legacy of faith or no legacy of faith are very important. And they should be honored. If God honored you by pulling you out of no legacy of faith, what a wonderful thing that is for God to do for you. If you come from a great legacy of faith, you ought to become greater than that legacy. I pray that you will. I expect that you will. I've seen you doing it. And we're going to walk in it in so much more power in the days to come, in the weeks to come, in the story that God is telling in our lives. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.